I just had no mental vocabulary to explain it about what was going on. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. But yeah, when everyone around you is responding Ooh. to you a certain way, yeah, and then you come to realise in the end that, oh, hang on, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, what everybody's telling me, they're not that what they're seeing is this performance. I'm trying to meet their expectations instead of being myself. Aspie's podcast, written, recorded, and produced by Paul Wadey. Hello. For the 10th Gorilla Aspie's podcast, I'd like to introduce you to my friend, autistic, transparent, and artist, Alexandria Forshaw. Well, Alex, hello. Thank you very much for doing a podcast with me. Would you like to uh, say a few words to introduce yourself? Um, yeah, hi Paul. Um, yeah, I'm um, I'm Alex, um, short for Alexandra. Um, yeah, I um, oh let me see. I'm in my mid forties. I'm um, a software developer by trade, but um, also um, an artist, dabbling with visual arts and music. Um, and, well, I guess the, kind of the reason I'm here is I'm autistic. Um, I'm, um, oh, heck, where to start? It's a bit on the spot, isn't it, really, when you're um, asked to talk about both. yourself? There's a lot um, to you. Yeah. Things that are important. Um, my daughter, I've got a grown-up daughter. It's actually her birthday today. She's 23 today. Wow, well, well done. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, I haven't got to see her because she lives in way in Sweden. Um, but oh, okay, whereabouts in Sweden? Um, about an hour south of Gothenburg. Because right. all we ever know about Sweden is murder mysteries. Oh, yeah, the bridge the and all those things. Yeah. And, yeah, it's like a, <laughs> the whole Scandinavia is full of serial killers. But don't worry about that. She'll be fine. Sagenor <laughs> is still going. They're all survived. Yeah. Don't worry. She'll be fine. She'll be fine. <laughs> I'm not very good at this, am I? Sorry, Alex. <laughs> Alex knows me for a while, so it's okay. Gentle listeners, she knows what I'm, she knows what I'm like. <laughs> we met through a mutual yeah. friend, didn't we? Yes. Um, first met you um, when I went over to visit my uh, good friend Emma, Emma Delmain. Colleague, I should say, really, because I'm on, on the board of her organisation, um, Autistic Inclusive Meets. Um, I've been involved with that for must be about three years or so now. Um, it's been a while, yeah. And I happen to know you're a very good friend of her and a very valuable friend as well, having your perspective and knowledge and your, dare I say, wisdom on everything present. Um. Yeah, I've, um, I guess, with having, um, I suppose, experience of business world and some idea about, um, you know, filling in forms and understanding some of the admin side of um, 
know, running an organisation has been um, very useful, very helpful there. You did do a few years of a degree as well in a in a little place people have heard of. Oh, you mean? Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of years um, doing a natural sciences degree at the University of Cambridge. Um, yeah, didn't didn't work out very successfully in the end, and um, because um, well, unbeknown to me at the time. Um, had no idea that, you know, knew nothing at all about autism, what being autistic meant. Just knew that I struggled dealing with people. Mm-hmm. And um, I never really knew what was going on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, went along there, kind of relied on hanging around near people and overhearing what they were saying because yeah, right. I couldn't um, get over that kind of anxiety that barrier um, involved in going up to somebody and asking them Um, and for years I'd give myself a hard time about that because I thought what's wrong with me why why can't I do that Uh, everyone else is doing it what's what's my problem Mm -hmm. um, I I don't give myself a hard time about it anymore I've just come to accept that that's the way I am and um, there are ways to work around it, but at the time, yeah, that that was one of the reasons um, that and the difficulties of living, I suppose, independently. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'd, I'd come from living at home, and mm. although it wasn't, you know, a sort of explicit thing, you know, you, you're living with your parents, you get a lot of support from them. Yeah. Um, suddenly, I'm out there on my own, and. Things like looking after money and making sure that I fed myself and had got my laundry done was a big problem, and I really struggled with that. Yeah. So it's a funny old thing that you are able to go to one of the best universities in the world, but the mundane activities, it's very, it's very typical of autistic people that we're all supposed to be, you know, human beings supposed to be well-rounded and have this broad skill set. It's not the case. It's quite natural for us to have certain deficits in, in basic things you can pick up later anyway. Yeah, um, a good phrase that I've come across, um, I've had a couple of people use, is um, you have a spiky profile. Yeah. So, yeah. whereas neurotypical people tend to have, um, you know, similar um, ability mm. levels across the board. Um you often find with um, particularly autistic people, but other neurodivergent people, um, that we have some areas where we have good skills and other areas where either skills are poor or we're just, um, you know, it takes us a lot longer to develop the skills. Um, And obviously it is classified as a neurodevelopmental condition. And in a lot of cases, it just takes us longer to get there. Um, it does. You, you obviously felt that you're in a profoundly competitive place. Uh, were you 18 at the time you went into the university? Um, I was coming up 20. Right. There. Yeah, so, yeah, A-levels from yeah. sort of 18 to 20, I think. So it was a very... Yeah. It's spaces like that you find a lot of us. 
because of our abilities, but it's also spaces where we can have a hell of a time. Because as you say, we don't have this well-rounded profile because it is assumed by society that if you have certain social skills, you have certain ability, you have certain abilities intellectually or academically, you're also going to have certain social skills and certain diplomacy. And Mm -hmm. I've been in that place. My best mate in um, school got an unconditional, so I was around it as a teenager. It was a really scary, aggressive place. Mm-hmm. and some nasty characters and we once when he had his stag do my mate and i hazarded into the wrong pub and it was a hunting shooting fishing pub we're lucky to get out alive you'd ask people excuse me and you tell me where this is you've been one of the houses the whole um what do they call them though one of the whole the houses oh the, the colleges the college you go into college you got somebody in a corridor who probably ended up uh, a major mp or something so can you tell me where this is and they just look at you and walk straight off without even speaking speaking to you because you didn't exist because you were in fear just because the way you looked or where you dress you uh, if you related in that way because you, they were operating at such a this is 1982 uh, 83 were operating at such a level of aggressive arrogance that can't i help life being in with people like that for goodness sake that's true um, to be honest i mean it, it wasn't um so much the people yeah uh, i suppose the, you know the, the way any particular people were um it was really just that I had this major social anxiety mm. um, and th- the only way I found to get over the, that sort of um, mm. you know, that bump and move past it was um, to um, have a few drinks. Um, ah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I spent a lot of time in the bar and in pubs. Um, because I, I could talk to people when I'd had a couple of drinks. Oh, you're not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> I, yeah. I always lived in fear of addiction ever since I was 16. I've lived in mortal fear because I knew if I started drinking, that's it. You know, thankfully, I was on these very mild antidepressants for a few years when I was a teenager. Uh, so when I came off them, I'd, I'd lost those teenagers. Gary Newman said the same thing happened to him he couldn't get a I couldn't form a relationship between getting drunk and feeling better and in those days nobody was smoking dope so I was very lucky those formative years I just got into uh, sobriety which is a terrible thing terrible thing but a lot of people do you, know, you just can't go oh hey everything's all right I'm euphoric and I'll live forever yeah. I've got a drink <laughs> yeah but you see we always think, oh, you, you naturally think it was my failing. I did something wrong, but you didn't. You were you were trying to. You're like a, somebody in the water trying to swim. You trying it, to swim. Yeah. yeah, you 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 pick up these sort of strategies, and you yeah. know, some of the times it's just. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, having a drink is just part of the culture, particularly mm. um, you know among students, especially. Um, I mean, maybe. A little less so these days, but certainly, I mean, this was early 90s and you talked about oh. your, your experience, which is um, a, little, a little earlier. Um, yes, so. well, yeah. <laughs> In the Stone Age, there were no autistic people then. There was, there was nothing, you know. Yeah. There was nobody out as well. Being, for example, gay was a hell of a thing. Mm-hmm. I walked into a shop in Manchester in 1983, I think it was, and I bought a copy of Gay News because Lindsay Kemp was on the cover. And I mm-hmm. think the people in the shop, the man, the woman, thought I was gay. And I, and I sort of said, you know, oh, yes, he is interesting, you know, as if I was gay. And I went along with 
because that's, I was, I've been in the Everyman Youth Theatre for a year in 1982, and half of everyone was gay. And I was in the theatre at that point, and I'm like, I, I absolutely love these people. And I'm one of the serious, you know, staunch LD, LGBTI uh, supporter, really. But that's what happened. I went into the Everyman Youth Theatre, and I'm like, there's homosexuals around here. And they're flipping brilliant people, you know. And that was it. It was just like, oh, very, very glad I did that. So, yeah, there was... Um, just, sorry, I've digressed. I've gone into. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, I, 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 I have been known to do that myself um, ah, once or twice. Yeah. Nowadays, there's a lot of people thinking of sexism, racism, homophobia. But they, they, I mean, I'm 56, so I remember the tail end of the real deal when black people, you know, were properly being attacked, and when there was, when you grew up in the 70s, and there was proper homophobia, and there were no, no transgendered or intersectional people. Uh, it didn't exist, you see. There, were, there, was, uh, there was only the uh, gender binary, for example, or there was only straight... You know, and there were cliches. Yeah, there, there, was, there was no visibility while I was mm -hmm. growing up, really. Um, I mean, Section 28 got brought in. Right. Um, so it wasn't mentioned at all. wasn't yeah. able to be mentioned at school. Mm. You know, it, the whole lot was pretend it doesn't exist and it might go away, I think, was the, the sort of attitude from um, Thatcher. particularly the, the Thatcher and um, her government. Um, Incredible. The Conservative yeah. Values Association. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Many of them ended um, up with uh, some sex partners on the choir. Yeah, the I think, you know, one of the results of that was that, um, you know, I mean, the number of people of my generation just grew up without a very good understanding of all this, mm. which led to a degree of confusion. And, um, you know, it's sort of taken a little bit longer to understand, um, you know, I suppose, you know, yeah, I've, I'm a little ambivalent about labels. I mean, you know, I have yes. a kind of flexible view towards um, them, but it's Is useful it? to pick up labels because it's, yeah. It helps you communicate with other people. and. That, well, this is it. Yeah, you have to come over as, as whatever you are. For example, I I go on about being autistic a bit too much. One reason being I'm always wondering what people are going to come out with. I'm always saying things to see what people do. I came from a world where it was all sort of cut and thrust and aggression. So it was a, it was a very Benny Hill sort of kill or be kill world I came out with. So you're always trying to put yourself over as a certain sort of person I'm not. And actually, as a Buddhist, you are, you know unconditional love for everybody. So you don't go around making crude comments, stuff like that. But I, I just I think we've both lived long enough to see different worlds, haven't we? You know, we come from worlds. Yeah, I mean, I I've um, yeah. you know I I grew up in an area. Um, you know, um, I remember when I went to school, there was one black kid in yeah. the whole. Um, yeah. Yeah, happened to us. Um, yeah. So, you know, because it's not something that's part of your everyday experience, really, you you grow up not really knowing anything about other. You know, I suppose you know. Um, oh, it's you, you end up with such a narrow view of. You live in fear, don't you? You you don't yeah. You, you don't know anything about, you know, you, yeah. obviously, I mean, even as a kid, 
um, you know, you, you pick up on obvious differences. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's one reason autistic kids you know, don't get bullied because they're autistic. They get bullied because they act different. They, they do things to disorient. It's not the autism that does it, it's the difference. And yeah, any but... difference gets picked up on. Um, kids, I think, mm. you know, they, I mean, they, they're aware of difference, but the way they respond to that difference yeah. is something that's learned. Um, on the whole, unless they're seeing, you know, negative responses to, to difference around them, mm. which, you know, they pick up from peers from parents wider society the media everything um if if they're seeing positive responses to difference then they'll respond positively i think if they see negative responses hate and fear then they learn that so you know there's i think it's important to um there's a point as well respond positively to difference Learn not to pretend yeah. that the difference doesn't exist. It's learning to uh, to be neutral or to embrace difference because yeah. it's very conscious what you're describing. But the gag reflex of rejecting something that is intimately not you is a tyranny. I think I think you'll agree. Mm-hmm. So you've got autistic oh. kids and the way they behave, and then we've got LGBTI, transgender. We've got people who are something you are not at an intimate level, and there is this perpetual issue all over the world or history i think of people rejecting others because of how they feel about them and it's it's not what they can handle mm. you know oh, yeah. our generation particularly are, are trying to create a world where there is there is unconditional love where people can be empowered to be themselves there's always business about oh they're autistic but they're okay they can do things they've got abilities you know yeah. I, oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable with that view. I yeah. mean, yes, yeah. you know, recognise that we can do things, mm. but don't reduce our value to just that. You know, we, yeah. we're, we're, we're people, first and foremost, and that should be enough. You know, the, you don't need to be productive to have yeah. value in society, or you shouldn't. Exactly. Very important point. You don't need to be productive to have value, but in the world of autism, you must read an awful lot, particularly from countries like America, where they say that, you know, they may be autistic, but they can do really clever things. They may be autistic, but they can relate. Per yeah. autism business. You see, it's, it's all about, it's not just autistic, it's everybody, non-autistic, the whole population's got to have some kind of worth and value and capacity to achieve things. They can't get over the winners, losers. And the same thing in this country as well. Uh, but being welfare state, yeah, a particular bugbear of mine, um, you know, partly because um, I'm you know trying to um, build up an artistic practice, yeah. is the way that the arts are so undervalued. Mm. And, you know, how difficult it is to make a living as, um, you know, let's say, a, an artistic practitioner, you know, somebody yeah. who is creating art in whatever form. I mean, I'm sure it's something that you've got uh, more experience than you'd like of. It's but... a funny thing. I, I never expected to make money out of my art. I only ever expected to hope that people would hear it. And even then, I don't know what they'd make of it. Mm. So I just hope to tell the truth 
my own experience, just as far as I can go, is just, just use art to tell the, tell the truth. And so it's this perpetual antagony or issue I've got with, with performing theatre and my, my background once a long time ago, going to drama school, this acting business I never talk about. Uh, because I was very good at pretending to be a neurotypical, which I wasn't. But then when it came to stealth Aspies and being an, an autistic person, I had a hell of a time with characterization. I found that incredibly difficult because I couldn't distance. Because I was telling yeah. the truth, finding myself in, in others on stage, it was just, oh, I couldn't, couldn't do character acting at all. Yeah, it's very, very difficult. And, and I used to tell audiences I was still in the closet. I was still standing mm. in front of people trying to look smart, intelligent, clever, capable, funny. And that's what I meant about I make you know, crude comments. And I think a lot of us do that. We're always going to be trying to prove ourselves. Yeah, it's um, it, it brings together. I mean, there's aspects of that are what um, this masking that we talk about, which yeah. was something that I've always struggled with the idea of masking, because um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm you know, I've, I've I've always been me. Am I am I putting on an act? Well, maybe to a degree. I you know, I respond to people because I've got some idea in my head of how they'll react if I do certain things. But that's a normal human way of interacting with people, you know. Um, so, you know, where where does masking end? Where does it, you know, become a just a... I, I suppose, you know, it may be a matter of degree, but it to me it doesn't... It's never felt... Um, I, start again. I never felt that I was. Um, no, <laughs> I've got I my see, words. I, I've got my words muddled up. Um, no, you have trying to say. I, th I think you're saying something quite profound, mm -hmm. but it's very yeah. hard to say it. Something about mask. It's it's that it's a matter of degree. Um, yeah. You know, it, when it like a number of things with autistic people, it's as if um, it's somebody decides that we do it more than the yeah. neurotypical. Mm -hmm. average and so it gets pathologized and then it suddenly you know it becomes a thing a trait um rather than you know we're just sort of towards one end of the scale of what's a normal human behavior it's it's very it's a lot of stuff and a lot of language and concepts as you're articulating that we've had to invent from scratch these past few decades to understand ourselves Oh yeah, it's, it's you... difficult. Yeah, there's. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it feeds into. Um, you know, you've you've um, obviously heard of the double empathy problem. Yeah, Damien Milton. Uh, yeah, and chasing the time to come on the podcast, Damien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean that. That's. I mean, it's you know, it, it's it's a it's an idea that occurred to me. It's occurred to others as well. I mean, you know, Damien brought it all together and. Yeah. you know set it out in a formal basis um it's it's such a simple concept and yeah. such a very important one and it's simply that um you know it boils down to being able to relate a lot more strongly to people who are similar to you and whose experiences are similar to yeah. your own that's and, right that's basis of my relationships yeah. marriage and everything yeah yeah because I was lucky, I always had one or two people in my life at all stages who were like me, but they didn't know it either. Did you have people all the way through that you had sort of intimate empathy with autistically? Did you have? Um, 
Not not too much yeah. um, until I got into my 30s. Um, the internet was sort of a thing at that point, and I started blogging, first of all, um, encountered other people, other autistic people blogging, made some yeah. connections that way, and that's really how I kind of found a, oh. a community and people I could relate to a lot more strongly than most of the people I'd encountered day-to-day in my life to that point. Uh, um, this is it, this is it. Then eventually we found each other, we found a whole AIM scene around mm-hmm. extraordinary, extraordinary, very fun. Yeah, and I mean, I've got my yeah. you know, neurodivergent connections all over the place, and some of them I've made via, um, I suppose, um, writing blogging online, um, some of it through um, my art and making yeah. connections with um, neurodivergent artists. Um, so you know, people like John Adams, um, Flo Observatorium and Sonia Bure over in Oxford and others. Um, and then um, yeah, the um, you know sort of. I mean, I, I I know people across the world now, um, but all these connections really have been forged because of this um, you know, commonality, common experience um, of being autistic. Do you feel accepted? Do you feel now? That, and actually, people always they're always looking for acceptance and love, but do you love others and accept them as much? As, as you want them to do you is, is an issue nobody ever asks no one's ever asked that question do you do you feel that into that chain that intercourse do you feel that reciprocation amongst the sort that you give um, that they... i with the yeah i do have some, yeah. you know, some wonderfully close friends um yeah. you know autistic friends yeah for the most part and yeah there is a very strong bond you know of empathy really um, between us because we understand each other's experiences. I mean, although, you know, we've lived in some respects quite different lives growing up yeah. with different experiences, but there's a commonality that um, I suppose engenders a, a closeness mm. because, you know, we, we can relate on a well, right. you know, on, on a much deeper level. On a real level. And it's coming back to what we were saying about masking. I know in your life you've you've worn masks you didn't know you were wearing. And now are in a, mm-hmm. in, a, in a phase where you're really not kidding anyone yourself, you're not wearing masks. I suppose experience of masking um, isn't to do with being autistic at all. Um, it's to do with being transgender. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, the way I see it myself now is that I spent about 40, nearly 40 years of my life being told I was one way and people responding to me in a certain way that never quite felt right, didn't mm-hmm. feel um like that was who I was where I, where I should have been and um I just had no 
mental vocabulary to explain it about what was going on. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. But yeah, when everyone around you is responding Ooh. to you a certain way, yeah, and then you come to realise in the end that, oh, hang on, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, what everybody's telling me, they're not that what they're seeing is this performance. I'm trying to meet their expectations instead of being myself. Yeah, and that, in this case, it, it was my gender. We, we grow up with an orientation that gender on its own is a world, it's a huge Gender's thing. Gender's complicated, you, yeah. Complicated, yes. Mm-hmm. But simple human acceptance and love isn't that people just get to know other people and see others. You know, they can just get all this business out of the way and, and get to know an individual, then you can appreciate all these you see the language I'm using, things, issues, experiences. I say the wrong thing. It sounds pejorative. It sounds like a value judgment. No, I'm just trying to articulate. And it's like you were saying before when you were you were tongue-tied, as it were, that it's very hard to talk about these things in a straightforward way because it's so loaded because of society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, it's sometimes difficult to put the words together because, um, you know, I've I've got an idea in my mind and sometimes it's quite a, a complex shape. It would be, yeah. And trying to translate that into words, particularly on the spot when I'm in a conversation like now, yeah. um, I can maybe start off down one path, realise that yeah. the sentences I'm building, the shape I'm putting together doesn't match what's in my mind, and I have to yeah. kind of back up and start again. Um, Civil autistics were very speedy, were very smart, and were very in our little world. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think one thing I was knowing as I do, one thing I always want to do is draw you out and say, look, it's okay with us. You're safe here, but at the same time, I have to be safe. I have to appreciate you and not say the wrong thing. And I always say the bloody wrong thing. I'm a mad scouser. I always say some bloody thing that's stupid or aggressive or take the piss somehow because of what I am, because of my own ableist uh, adaptation, you know, my, my whole self, this, this, I don't know what is a mask and what isn't, the personality, the, my brutality, you know, with which I go through life. And I, I mean, I've, I've, I might say a relatively gentle uh, person like yourself, and it's always this fear of, oh, God, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Describe the double empty problem in Liverpool terms is you tell them to bugger off, they tell you to bugger off. So <laughs> they tick with hatchets, you know. Yeah. <laughs> These many years you've been connected to so many other autistic people and, and you can meet up as well. We meet up, we meet up many times. Do you do you feel that it's it's better, it's safer? There's a whole different world. Um yeah, I'm, I don't know, I'm, compared to many other autistic people I know, I think I'm quite unusual in that um, I'm quite gregarious, um, yeah. which, you know, when, when I, it was a, you know, one of those sort of shock, absolute shocked light bulb moments, mm. you know, it's blinding flash above me, it's like, you know, I've had all these problems with trying to form connections with people around me through my life and you know it's literally 
you know, in the last 10, 15 years, really, that it started to come together and you know, things have, I guess, been working. And I found out that actually I really like being around people, um, you know, socialising with people, but yeah. kind of on my own terms, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the sort to go out to a big noisy party. <laughs> but I no. love to, you know, sit, have a pot of tea and whatever, and um, yeah. preferably with cake. Cake is always good. Cake is um, good. Let's remember that. In case, yeah, in case anybody would like to invite me at some point once cake. we're yeah. allowed to with lockdown and everything. Oh. Um, but, you know, um, <laughs> I, I'd love to be invited for tea and cake. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll get that in now just in case. <laughs> I'll forget. I can't remember a bloody thing. I've written it down on my pad in, the, in this my semi-organ accumulator shed. For real. I have a picture of Wilhelm Reich in the corner. You can't see it because of the projected image of the Holy Buddha uh, virtually existing behind me in virtual reality, as it were. I don't know. I'll switch it off. But who cares? I think it's great. I keep disappearing in this figure of the Buddha. Where I you? know, yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? I'm messing with my head. You know, I'm going in the end and out. Out of samsara. Uh, I haven't <laughs> spent so many hours on Skype calls over the last few months. It might seem a little disconcerting, but I'm so yeah. used to it now. I just take it entirely <laughs> in my stride, and it doesn't bother me at all. Good, good. Well, that's amazing. Well, thank you very much for talking to me. I'm really glad we had this this sharing. Oh, my really. pleasure. I've, I've really good. enjoyed our conversation. Yeah. We, um, Always enjoy chatting with you anyway. Thank you. Like and I enjoy your music as well. Thank you. That's really good music you've got on SoundCloud, actually. Nice bit of strings there. All right. ah, thank you so much.